those of you who have been with us for a while, you know this is a series we've been doing since January in the book of Joshua called The Best is Yet to Come. And, it, and it's been asking this question of all of us, and I, it's funny, I've heard this question from a lot of people, what's next? What's up? Okay. The tasting is off. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Thank you, MJ, for that information. Um, so we're going to continue in the series we've been doing for a while um, called The Best is you, Next, the next series, asking what's next in our lives. And uh, I don't know if you've been challenged by that like I have, but um, we have as a, as a family. What's next for us? You know, what's next for you guys, where you are? Um, it's a big deal to be looking at our lives and asking that question. And uh, so hopefully you've been doing that with us. And today we're going to focus. Today is interesting because this is probably the most um, shocking. Joshua's been crazy. Like if you've been reading Joshua with us, it's crazy what's written in the book, you know. Um, The way God moves to his people, their obedience is pretty crazy. Uh, Their disobedience at times is pretty crazy. And just the reality of what it looks like to take the promised land. I think all of us were hoping for better things in our life. Not, not just our life here, but our life to come. And yet Joshua teaches us something about fighting for it, right? About, about working with God for the outcomes we want. Uh, finding out where he is moving in our lives and joining him there. Not asking him to help us do what we want, but finding out what God wants us to do and joining him in that work. And so today, this is probably one of the most shocking texts in Joshua, and I titled it, Wasted. You know, um, nothing, nothing more tragic really than waste um, itself. As a matter of fact, I, I looked it up because I was wondering uh, how you define weight being wasted or something being wasted. So I looked up in the dictionary. It's a good place to look. And this is what it said. Uh, the first definition is to be laid to waste or ravaged, right? That's Joshua sounds like that a little bit. Second, impaired in strength or health, emaciated, right? You're wasting away. Archaic is to be gone by or elapsed, just means the time passing. Uh, The fourth is this, unprofitably used or made and expended. Unprofitably used, unprofitably made, or unprofitably expended. And then the fifth is this, which is the way I think I've been wasted, is slang. And it says, to be intoxicated from drugs or alcohol, right? Here's the funny thing. I remember whenever I was young, we talked a lot about getting wasted. You know what I mean? Anybody like that? Hey, what are you going to do this weekend? Going to get wasted. (laughs) Right? And it was this goal of life. Right? Like, that's what we're going to do. And it's like, man, what... And you know what the funny thing is, like the people that are running around doing that are like young. They got like everything going their way and they're going to waste it. Some of us get older, we're like, man, that's tragic, dude. What are you wasting it for, right? God has all these. We talked about this, right? God has all this investment he's made in us. We're going to waste it. It's really what it means, right? We, uh, it's funny that the culture... The language of the culture betrays the truth of what God's word says about being wasted. Well, today we're going to look at what it, what it looks like to be wasted. Like, really, you know? Everything from what I'm talking about with people who are looking to get wasted, like I said, we had some graduates recently, right? To 
to um, people who have gotten on in life, and they feel like it's all been wasted. So I'm going to ask you to do what we always do at Family Bible Church and pray as we know in God's word. We don't pray as part of a ritual. We pray because we're asking God to give us wisdom. The word says, if you lack anything, ask, and he will give it to you. And we need his wisdom to understand his word. So join me in prayer if you would this morning. Father God, we thank you for the chance to worship together. We thank you for uh, brothers and sisters who have come to join with us. We thank you for where we are on the journey, whether we are far or near to you today. We give you praise because we're here. We pray, Father, that this time be profitable for us, that we could learn from you. We ask you, Father, to give us the gift of your Holy Spirit, to be present with us in a very real way, to give us your wisdom and insight, understanding through your word. May you calm our hearts and settle our minds and open us up to truth that we may never have understood before. And may it be rightly proclaimed as your glory and your salvation for your people. We give you praise because you are worthy now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been following along, you know, we're, we're just about... The next week, the series is going to change again, okay? But we're just about to this place where uh, Israel gets the promised land, man. And this is like the footnote after. Last week, we said that they had rest from war. The land had rest from war. Well, today, where there's like the footnote of the whole deal. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 12. John, can you push me there? Because my, my clicker is not going to work today. Thank you. Page 157 of our Bibles, if you have them. If you don't have your own, you can grab one and check it out. It'd be a, a really great thing to get your eyes in the Word today. So grab that and read it with me if you would. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 12. So these are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan from Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including the eastern side of Arabah. Shiloh, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, he ruled from Aor to the rim of Aaron Gorge, from the middle of the gorge to the Jabbok River. These are like landmarks, right? Which is the border of the Ammonites. This included half of Gilead. He also ruled over the eastern Arabah, to the Sea of Kinnereth, to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, Beth uh, Jeshmoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. And the territory of Og, the king of Bashan, and the last of the Raphaeites who reigned in the Ashraf and Edrai, I'm probably saying all this wrong, he ruled over Mount Hermon, Salak, and Bashan, in the order of the people of Geshur and Maka, I don't even know what this says, and Gilead to the border of Shion, king of Hezbon. They're going to get a lot of that kind of stuff, but here's what you want to hear. Verse 6, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered these people. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh for their possession. So the first thing that happens here in this kind of footnote to all the war is the writer of Joshua remembers how this all started, right? The key verse there is verse 6, Moses, the servant of Yahweh, the creator God, and the Israelites conquered all those people that I couldn't pronounce, right? That's what they did. Like, it was Moses' faithfulness that got them. That was east of the Jordan. You remember that, right? East of the Jordan. And they took all those people and territories. 
I want you to jump down with me, if you would. Actually, right here in verse 7 first, it says this. Read it with me. These are the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan. It's going to stop there. So the first thing we've heard is that the east side of Jordan, God was working through Moses. And then he's like, and these are the people that they took under Joshua west of the Jordan. Now I'm going to ask you to jump down with me, if you would, to verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Read with me. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you are very old, and yet there are still large areas of land to be taken. Okay? So the first thing I want us to see today from this footnote to the taking of the promised land is that God was working through Moses. He has been working through Joshua. And the kicker is, in in chapter 13, he says, and Joshua, even though you're old and probably tired, I'm not done yet. There's a lot of land to be taken. And I think that that brings our first principle from this text that I want to share with you today. Oh, my clicker worked. Praise God. And it says, uh, God is always at work. Like, God is always at work. Now, if you take any part of the story, if we walk through this, you take any part of it, you could go, man, where's God at work in this? And we've worked hard discerning scripture to see what he's doing in the text, how he's moving through his people. But you can take any point and you can say, man, God, where's God in that mess? Maybe there's been some things that you've read through the story of Joshua that you were offended by. And you would say, well, where's God in that? See, the truth is that many of us view our lives that way. Many of us have a tendency to say, like, I remember whenever I was a kid and I used to go to church and God did this thing. Or maybe for you, when you were a young person, you gave your life to Christ and you remember that moment of giving your life to Jesus, but it's back there somewhere, right? And that's where Jesus stays, back there. He was working then, but where is he now, right? I mean, think about the story of the Israelites coming out of slavery. That's exactly what they said in the desert. He was working then when we were free from captivity, but where is God now? And they had to die in the desert for that, right? Some of us, maybe, spend all of our time for the hope of the future. Lord, deliver us in this time. One of my favorite songs, you know, that you can really, like, have a little hoedown to is I'll Fly Away. I love that song. I'll fly away, oh, glory, right? You know, say, Come on, get the banjo going. That's what I'm talking about. Don't you love that kind of, just fly me away from here. And we say, Lord, when your kingdom comes, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to be with you for eternity. I can't wait to worship forever. I'm so excited to be with, to see, Paul says, what, face to face, we only see darkly now, to worship God in all his glory, presence, reality, truth. It's huge. And some of us spend all our time on that side of the equation, and we're like, Lord, just get me out of here. You know the funny thing I found? about people in the church who are, who are so excited about rapture is they're missing what God's doing right now, right? Well, one of these days, the Lord's going to come, yep. He's going to deliver his people, yep. But what about what God's doing right now, right? The truth of the Bible is God is always at work, 
When Moses was taking Israelites to the edge of the promised land, God was at work. When he gave the land east of Jordan to the Israelites, God was at work. When he brought them across the Jordan, God was at work. And Joshua here, after the land has rest from war, the Lord says, there's yet more land to be taken. God is always at work. What's that look like for you? Do you, do you find there are times that, that you only see God in the rearview mirror or you only see him in the future or maybe you only see him in the present and you can't imagine what he was doing before? For many of us, the truth is that we've seen that even in the times, listen to me now, that we thought God wasn't active. He was at work. When you look back on those seasons of your life and you're like, man, I mean, in the moment, you're like, man, God, where are you in this mess? And then you look back, all right, you were right there the whole time. That's the truth. My question for you this morning is, is there a time of your life when God was not at work? I told you earlier, when we're, some people are young, they're like, we're going to get wasted. Was that really wasted? For some people, that story of wanting to get wasted turns into a reality that they were wasting their life without Christ. A brother this morning shared with me before service. He said, I realized that this isn't who I wanted to be anymore. It, didn't, it wasn't internally consistent with something bigger that, that we know now God was telling him who he was. Wasted. That's truth. That's culture speaking truth. Is there a time when God is not at work? I want to give you a little, let me help you out for a minute. So a lot of times when, when we talk about this stuff, it's the folks who have gone through it, lived through it, survived it, and they see the next generation and they're like, they're doomed, they're doomed. Can we have a little faith that God will deliver them? I'm not saying we want this to happen, but can we have a little faith to say, even now God is at work. When things are going the wrong way for you, can you believe that even now God is at work? I believe that's what the gospel says. God is always at work. The whole story of Joshua has illustrated that point. And I would argue that even in times of open rebellion, and I think Joshua proves this out, in open rebellion, God is still at work. He's still at work. He's still on his throne. He's not surprised. He's working through his people. Well, I want to pick it up here in verse 8 of chapter 12. I'm going to read through. So we got, it says, this is the, I'm going to pick up verse 7. These are the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered. Now, this, by the way, is the hardest part of the text. I want you to hear this today. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. The hill country, the western foothills. Pick it up with me in, we're going to pick like 8C, okay? It says this. Um, well, I'll pick it up right there. The Arabah, the mountain slopes, right? The desert and the Negev. Listen to the word. The lands of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. This is what we've been reading in Joshua. But I want you to hear how the word is written. This is the list. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, near Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. 
the king of Lashish won, the king of Eglon won, the king of Gezer won, the king of Debir won, the king of Gender won, the king of Hormah won, the king of Arad won, the king of Libna won, the king of Aldulam won, the king of Makeda won, the king of Bethel won, the king of Tapua won, the king of Hefer won, the king of Aphek won, the king of Lashron won, the king of Madon won, the king of Hazor won, the king of Shimron Meron won, the king of Ashpath won, the king of Tanakh won, the king of Medigo won, the king of Kadesh won, the king of Jokaim and Carmel won, the king of Dor and Naphtoth Dor won, the king of Goyim and Gilgal won, the king of Tirzah won. 31 kings in all. 31 kings in all. I wanted to read that to you today because this was the part. How do you, I don't know how you read your Bible. I read my Bible a lot of ways. Like I read it like flipping, sitting down and, you know, doing a Bible study where I look at it. I read it kind of casually sometimes. I kind of just open it and read it. Uh, I read it online a lot. I love all the tools we have online now. And sometimes I pop a CD in my car and I listen to the word spoken over me. And I, I was driving when I was listening to the book of Joshua. That's the best way for me to listen to an entire book is to listen to it. And I was driving and I kept hearing this, one, one, one. And maybe like you this morning, I'm thinking, when's this gonna end? one. One. I'm like, what is, why would God record this in his word? Why would he say one, one, one? And in the end, 31 in all. Have you ever heard a list like that read before? I've heard a list like that read before. I, I heard a list like that read before at a Jewish remembrance ceremony for the Holocaust survivors where they said every person's name who was lost. I've heard it read that way at memorial services for fallen veterans where they read the name of every person who was lost. And here, what's recorded before the allocation of the promised land before the people are given the land to which God promised them is the record recording of every single king that stood against God. Right? The wild thing about the list of kings, 31 kings in all that fell to God through Israel, the wild thing is that, you know, you and I, we might think of ourselves as, well, it's just, you know, Bill Dempsey be one, right? Think about a king and a kingdom that fell. Think about all the, un the uh, offense that we had when, when, when uh, 
Joshua and the people of God would go in and wipe out a city because their king would not submit to God. Listen to me. Think about the tragedy of that reality. You wonder why we, why would it matter if we have a godly leader in our home? Or why would it matter if we had a godly leader in our local leadership government or our national government or our global, becoming global government? What would it matter? Because in God's economy, who, what people believe and who they follow matters. And this is a truth that we have from the word, that our life, apart from God, is wasted. It's wasted. These kings were not people who sat around and partied their whole life with their buds, right? These were movers and shakers, kingdom makers, leaders, and it was wasted because they would not submit to God. You can look at anybody you want in the world and go, woo, look at them go, until they stand before the holy God, and it's wasted. And the implications are huge. And God says, one more falls, one more falls, one more falls. I was so stunned by this as I read it. That each one, and I want to say this. I want to remember that there were two times in Joshua we heard someone didn't fall. I told you this, you've been here, but it's wild. Rahab and her family, the prostitute and her family were spared. And the Gibeonites, who tricked Israel and got them to agree to not kill them, were spared. They would have been in the list otherwise. With all their kin, they'd have been in the list as another kingdom that had fallen without God. My question is, what list will your life be on? I mean, not, not like... I mean, really, when you get to the end, when you meet God face to face, will you be on a list of those who stood to oppose God, despite all your kingdom building? Will you be like Frank Sinatra and say, I did it my way. Wasted. My question for you is, and this is, Interesting. What opportunities do you have to join God right now? Because I don't want to leave it like, boy, that's, isn't that a shame as if they had no choice? I don't believe God ever steals our choice from us. I don't believe that that's true. And so here, all these people decided not to partner with God. My question for you in your life, and right now, wherever you are, what opportunities has God given you to join him in what he's trying to do with your life? And will you partner with him? I 
I don't know about you, but for me, man, that's what I want. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of my way. I want to find out where God's working and join him there. A great little book that I was given when I was a new believer in Christ was given by my aunt, who's an awesome, faithful woman of God, been, you know, blessed by God. I ever since I can remember, she's awesome. She gave me this book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. Anybody read that book, Don't Waste Your Life? I would recommend that without hesitation. Check that book out. It just goes through real basic scriptural principles and he says, don't get to the end of your life and find out that you've wasted it on things that are meaningless. That's what the whole imperative of Scripture is. Don't waste your life that God has given you. Well, it's funny because here's, here's the thing. You know, we live in a kind of a cynical society. I don't know if you know that about where we are. But people are kind of, whatever, dude, right? He's a pastor. Easy for him to say, don't waste your life. He just wants us to all be missionaries, you know. Uh, John Piper, uh, which, by the way, is just an awesome little dude. He's just this little awesome guy. <laughs> I've got to see him in person. I was blown away by the magnitude of who he isn't. And uh, he, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer. He written this book in 2003, I think, something like that, called Don't Waste Your Life. And he was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know when it was in his life, but it was after that. And the night before, he has to go undergo surgery to hopefully, hopefully help with his cancer. He writes a new part of his book, and he calls it Don't Waste Your Cancer. And you go, what? Cancer is a tragedy. Like, how do you lay there in your bed night before surgery and say, don't waste your cancer? But he believes that we have always have opportunities to be on mission with God, even in the things we don't want. See, what I love about John Piper is that when I hear him speak, I see the same truth revealed in Scripture. That every opportunity we have is given and we can choose to partner with God in it, even if it's cancer, even if it's our kids are a mess, even if it's our marriage is having a hard time, even if his life ain't going the way we want it, or if everything's roses and everything's going great and beautiful, all these things we can partner with God in. The question is, will we choose to do that or not? Will we choose to join God in the opportunities he has given us. I would highly recommend you check out that book if you haven't read it. Um, I think it'd be really cool if we had a few copies of it that we could pass around. All right. So we're going to pick up here in 13. And I'm just going to read the first part of 13 here. And then we're going to close with that. And you can pick up and read the rest there if you want to. And then we're going to get into the allocation next week. We're going to cover all allocation next week. So it'll be really, um, you know, we won't read it all. So if you want to read allocation, you have to read that on your own. Read with me in verse uh, 1 of chapter 13. We already read it tonight, today. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, right, the Lord Yahweh said to him, you are very old. <laughs> I love that. There are still very large areas of land to be taken over. You are very old and there are still very large land, areas of land to be taken over. And what I love about this is it comes on the heels of this list of kings who would deny God. 
And let me just tell you, this is the beautiful truth of the gospel, is that it's never too late to join God. I mean, it's never too late to join God. I'll tell you how I see this worked out in people's lives. I know some people who feel like, well, I've spent my whole life doing something else, and now I'm old and I'm tired, like Joshua maybe, and they go, God's done with me. I've seen people who've been diagnosed with disabilities or with uh, things that inhibit them physically, that restrict them, that come down like a ton of bricks that, that draw, that threaten to collapse everything around them, and they say, God can't possibly use me. But that's not true. It's never too late to partner with God. And here's another place I see it. I see it in young folks who say, man, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the way I've behaved. You don't know the stuff I've been through. And they believe the lie that it's too late for me. And that's, that's funny. As a dude who's getting older, it's funny to me to find 20-year-olds who go, it's too late. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, you just wait another 20 years, <laughs> right? It's never too late. It's never too late with God. I want you to see what he says there in 13. He says, Joshua, you are old, and there's still a lot to do. You're old, and there's still a lot to do. So my question is, what does the rest of your life look like? You see, I'm going to ask you that today. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you're going to do in 20 years. I'm going to ask you today, what is the rest of your life going to look like? Is it going to look like all the stuff you've been doing? Is it going to look like you're going to step and say, well, it's too late. I've screwed up too much. I can't do anything about it. Or is today going to be the day that you say, you know what? Today I'm going to believe what Jesus says. Today I'm going to believe my sins are all forgiven. And today I'm going to follow him, whatever that looks like. And I got, I got news for you. God has bigger plans for you than you can possibly imagine if you would only follow his son. I believe that for myself, and I believe that for each one of you. And so the question is, what is the rest of your life going to look like? Or ask another way, are you wasting your life right now? Is that what we're doing? That's a scary question to ask. I ask it. Am I wasting my life? What would God have me to do? The truth is that Jesus came on the scene showed up, met these guys who were fishing, and said, leave everything you're doing and follow me. And he didn't do it because he didn't like what they were doing. He did it because he had something better for him. How about you? Do you believe God has something better for you tomorrow? I believe that that's true. Today, if you want to, you can believe that, and you can you can believe that what God did through the cross, he did for you, and that this is an invitation to follow Jesus. And if you today don't even fully understand, and I got news for you, I look at the cross. We sang that song earlier, when I, or not when I surveyed the cross, but we sang that song where it says, um, um, to, what, what is that verse? It says, it's the first one. Usually we sing it quiet on how great thou art. When, when, I, when I think of God, his son, not sparing I scarce can take it in. There's mystery in what God did, 
But today is a day that you can choose to enter in and follow Jesus. And I'm just telling you that. Not, and not as someone wants to control that for you. Follow God if you want a different life. Please pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, today we thank you for the word. We thank you for your people who have gone before us demonstrating not just their life, but your faithfulness. Not just what they do, but what you did through them. As a matter of fact, Lord, the things that you do in spite of them, and it gives me hope as a follower of yours that it ain't up to me to make it right. Today, Father God, we have those here who maybe aren't following you today, and maybe like me, they're convicted about those areas of their life that just aren't square with you, that aren't right. I pray today that we would trust you fully with that, and that we would say, Lord, help me. I want to follow you. If there's stuff in our life we need to get rid of, by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you remove that from us? Help us get out of that stuff that we could follow you. And for those who are inheriting the promised land, give us courage for the days ahead. Show us the work you have us to do. Teach us the truth of redeeming our past and set us free to worship you and follow you all of our days. You are glorious and beautiful and wonderful. And I, Father, give you thanks and praise for the redemption you're doing in me and all of my friends here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.